Of course, prayer is just an ongoing subject, and so what we're we're going to be looking at tonight, where we're going to start, is I'm going to talk about the believer's authority and spend several weeks talking about that. But that goes right in hand in hand with prayer. If you don't know your authority, um, prayer isn't going to be very effective. Um, I really believe that the believer's authority is one of the key subjects that we need to know, that we need to be aware of, um, because the victorious life, I, I believe, depends upon it. You know, probably the first teaching that I ever studied, book that I studied on authority, was years and years back. It was Watchman Nee's book on the authority of the believer. And, uh, and that w was eye-opening. And then some years later, um, study, studied Derek Prince's book, Spiritual Authority, and then um, Andrew Womack's book, The Authority of the Believer. And, and in my library, you know, there, there's, there's two, or actually there's three books that I kind of have that are centered. And uh, all three of them are by Brother Hagen. In fact, they're the, I think they're the only three books that he's got in hardback. Uh, but it's The Name of Jesus, How to Be Led by the Holy Spirit, and, and then his book on uh, the believer's authority. And so I really believe that this subject is really important. And, uh, you know, for, like I said, for us to be victorious, we really have to get a hold of it. So let's, let's open with a word of prayer, and then we'll get right into the study tonight. Father, we thank you for your word, that it's living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. We ask you to bless this time as we share together that everything that is said and done will bring you glory and honor. We thank you for this word tonight. We thank you for this subject tonight. And Father, we pray that we might have a revelation of what, what truly belongs to us through Christ Jesus and how you've given us the authority to um, not only speak to mountains, but to the circumstances around about us. And so we ask you to bless this time, minister to our hearts, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's begin by looking in Ephesians, the sixth chapter. And, you know, the word tells us that <clears throat> uh, we don't wrestle with flesh and blood, but, we, but our fight, our wrestling match is with... Uh, with powers and principalities. There's these, these forces that are out there, and if we don't recognize that they're there, how do we, uh, how do we live victoriously over them? But I wanna to begin tonight by reading in Ephesians, the sixth chapter, and we'll begin in the 10th verse, and it says, <clears throat> finally, my brother. You know what's interesting about this is uh, you go through all of Ephesians, and uh, especially when you get into the fifth chapter, he begins to talk about <clears throat> relationships and so forth, and that carries over into the sixth chapter. Uh, but then, after he's talked about these things, he says, finally, my brother, brethren. And I, I think the reason that he, he brings this subject into it is the fact that we look at all these different relationships and so forth, but you know what? 
there's an enemy that wants to bring death and destruction to all of them. And so in relationship where we have struggles, if we don't recognize that it's a spiritual battle, you know, we're just dealing with it in the realm of the flesh and and we're gonna struggle, we're not gonna be victorious. And so after he's shared all that with us, he says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And when you've done all to stand, stand therefore. And so there's this, this battle that we're going to encounter, that we do encounter, but it's a spiritual battle. And so <clears throat> we've got to open our eyes to see that what we're in is a spiritual battle. It isn't um, the individual. Now, um, the fight isn't against people. It may involve people, but the, the fight isn't really against people. It's against what's influencing those people. You know, because <clears throat> we know even our own lives that oftentimes what we're, what we're battling, um, we, we wonder, where does that thing come from? Dan, Dan, would you mind going to the little refrigerator and get me one of those little bottles of water that's out there? <clears throat> My frog's getting thirsty, you know, and so you can't have a dry frog, you know. And, and so we, we need to recognize that it's spiritual forces oftentimes that are behind what we're dealing with. We, you know, what people do, what people say, sometimes you look at it and you think, where in the world did that come from? Well, it came from the devil, you know, and uh, it, now it wasn't that they have the devil or whatever, but it's, it's that influence that's, that's affecting them. You know, so, but, but usually what happens is we just simply look at it and we, we attribute it to uh, natural causes, to the natural way of things, but we need to realize that it's, it's spiritual, thank you, it's spiritual forces that are coming against us. You know, I, <clears throat> I think um, early on, a lot of times, the big discussion was concerning people, um, are they possessed, oppressed, depressed? Well, it doesn't matter what it is. It's, it's, it all comes from the same influence. Now, of course, like I said a couple of weeks ago, you know, as born-again believers, um, we cannot be possessed of the devil because we're possessed by the Holy Spirit. I know we don't like to use that terminology, but it's the truth. We're, we're, we're filled with him. And so, um, but those, those powers uh, of darkness, they have an influence in our lives. And so we need to recognize where it's coming from and not just attribute everything of, well, that's just the world that we live in. That's, that's just being normal. That's just the natural way that things happen. Um, 
we need to realize that oftentimes those things that really um, tick us off, there, there's a spiritual force behind that. We need to recognize what that spiritual force is. Um, we need to adapt or accept a, a spiritual mindset. And, uh, you know, I think it's just so easy to be uh, caught up in the day that we live in within the natural. You know, it's almost like <clears throat> we have to make a conscious decision that we're, well, it's not almost, we do. We have to make a conscious decision that we're not going to allow um, the influences out there to influence us. Because whether we, <clears throat> whether we like it or not, there, there's always something that's going to be influencing us. Influencing us. If it's, you know, it can be the news, it can be television, it can be the people that we hang out with. We're being influenced by something. You know, and that's why, you know, I, I believe the scripture says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together and so much the more, not less. It says so much the more as the day approaches and the day that he's talking about is the day that we're in right now. It's part of it. It's the end times, but we're closer to the end times than that, when that was written. But why is that so important? Because something's going to influence us. You know, we, we can say, well, I just don't let anything influence me. Well, you're deceived. You know, because things influence us. And so we need to determine what that's going to be that's going to have a, a say-so in our lives. Um, turn with me to Matthew, the... 16th chapter. I know it's all in your notes, but it's so much better when we read it out of the Word. You know, <clears throat> even Jesus, he recognized that it was the devil that tried to influence him. Now, <clears throat> I know I need to be careful here and not talk too much about the devil. I remember many years ago I'd stopped in to see about, you know, something with another pastor in town and he informed me that he didn't quite agree with me on anything and you know and that he had heard that I that I ever taught on and talked about was the devil and demons and I says well I guess if whoever told you that only came to church one time and I was teaching on demonology that Sunday I, I guess you would think that <laughs> you know you know I, I mean that's why you know, it, it blows me away, people who think they're experts on things. You know, I remember years back, I was going to, well, this guy just got a, got a new pickup, and he wanted to know if I wanted to go a ride in his new pickup, you know. And usually when somebody takes you in a vehicle ride, you know, they take you around the block or something. Well, we ended up in Carroll. You know, I don't know, that's, that's too much of a ride as far as I'm concerned. But, but anyway, we're in Carroll, and at that time they had, you know, the bookstore on the, east side of town and so we had stopped in there and talked with the guy a little bit and we're leaving you know we're just talking about what a neat guy he was because he was he's a neat god and a guy and i just said you know it's just too bad that he's so anti the faith message we're the faith message and he says well what do you mean and i says you know the faith message you know what brother hagan and copeland teaches he says well i i i don't i don't agree with that and i said really and he says, no, I, I really don't. And I says, so uh, 
Why is that? And he says, I, I just don't. And I says, so you, you've read Brother Hagin's books? And he says, well, no, I haven't. And I says, you've, you've listened to his tapes and watched him on TV? No, I really never have done that. And I says, so, so why, why do you not agree with him? Well, he says, my pastor said it wasn't any good. And I accept that. And I said, well, that explains it because you've never read anything for yourself. That's why I think about so many people, they have such a strong opinion on something but it's an ignorant decision that they've made because it's based on somebody else's determination rather than finding out for themselves. Let me tell you something. If, if the truths and the principles that I present you with, I, I hope you accept them and receive them. But I also hope that you, you go and study it out for yourself. Because if you're just accepting it because I say so, you're, you're subject to error because I'm just, a, I'm just a man. I'm just a human being. Just like what we're talking about here this evening, the authority of the believer. I've, I've studied what Watchman Nee said about it, um, what Brother Hagen said about it, uh, probably what Kenneth Culpin said about it, what um, Andrew Womack said about it, what Derek Prince said about it. And let me tell you something. There's, there's a wide spectrum there of what those individuals believe, especially when you go all the way back to Watchman Nee. But you know, the thing that I found was there was also a, a thread of consistency through all of that teaching. And when you find that thread, that's where you, that's where you find stability. You know, and so I, I don't want to encourage somebody to study something that's you know, off the wall. You know, but you've got to have enough of the Word of God in you, and you have to have enough where, where you've seen it for yourself that when, when air pops its ugly head up at you, you're able to recognize it. You know, because there's, there's a lot of people out there, they'll take, they'll take any old thing that comes down the pike just because the person's got a, a big name or it's sold a lot of books or whatever it may be. You know, I heard... Uh, Oh, what's his name? Um, I can't think of his name right now. But uh, I was listening to his program one time, and he was, he was talking about uh, people on TV. And he says, you know, just because somebody's on TV, that doesn't mean they have a, a, a legitimate ministry that you can trust. He says, I negotiate all of our contracts. And he says, when I go to these radio stations and TV stations and even the Christian ones, he says, they never ask me what I believe. They ask me, do you have the money? And so when somebody's on TV or somebody's on the radio, and there's a lot of good ones, there's a lot of weirdos too. I don't know if you've noticed that. <laughs> you know, so what does that tell us? They have money, and they're able to pay their way. So, I don't know why I got off onto that, but, oh, anyway, the, so, so it doesn't matter who you are, uh, there's influences that come against you, and even Jesus. The devil tried to influence Jesus. Remember when he was, he was in the wilderness, and he was led by the Holy Spirit, and the enemy 
uh, tried to get him to jump off the building. The enemy tried to get him to bow down and worship him. And he actually used scripture to try to get him to, to do that. And so what it shows us is how important it is for scripture to be used properly. Because I'm convinced you can have two individuals, they can preach the same message using the same scriptures, but it's the spirit that's behind it. One of them will set you free and the other one will bring you into bondage. And it can be the very same passages that are being used. And so here, Jesus is with his disciples. And in the 23rd verse, Matthew 16, 23, and he turns to Peter and he says to him, get behind me, Satan, for you are an offense to me. For you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Whoa. You know, and so he, he rebukes Peter. But, but ultimately, the thing that we have to realize, he's really not rebuking Peter. He's rebuking the spirit that's behind it. You know, th this, is, this is really quite an interesting portion of Scripture. Because if we back up just a few passages, if you go up to the 16th verse, remember <clears throat> uh, Jesus said to his disciples, uh, who do men say that I am? And they said, Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And he says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter in the 16th verse turns to him and says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And so he's basically saying to Peter, you receive this by revelation. This isn't something you learned. This is revelation that has come to you. And so now here we are, just a few passages, just a little bit of time later, and Jesus is telling the disciples about the things that are going to happen to him. And Peter rebukes him and says, no, Lord, it's not going to, I forget exactly the words that he said, but he, he came against Jesus and said, no, it's not going to be that. And then Jesus turns to Peter and he says, get behind me, Satan. Why? Because oftentimes these words, what they want to do is they want to steer you in another direction. Those words were, were given to Jesus to steer him in another direction, another direction from the cross, which was the will of God. And so there's voices out there. There's influences out there that want to steer you from the direction that you're supposed to be going. And so that's why we need to, Jesus knew what his call was. Jesus knew what his purpose was. Jesus knew what his des destination was. And because he knew the word, because he is the word, but because he knew the word and he knew the Father, he immediately recognize the source of that. And yes, he came against Peter, but he wasn't really coming against Peter. He was coming against the influence that was influencing Peter, because look what he says in the last part of that verse. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. You are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. What does the world want us to do? It wants us to be mindful of the things of 
men. And so what's happened? Because the church many times has become mindful of the things of men, we've lost sight of the purpose of the church. The purpose of the church, now stay with me. The purpose of the church is not to feed the poor, to feed the hungry. The purpose of the church is not to clothe those who have no clothing. The purpose of, the, now, all of that is part of what the church is to fulfill, but the purpose of the church is to preach the gospel. And so, you can go from church to church and on a Sunday morning, you will not hear the gospel being preached. Why? Because of other things, the things of man. They've, they've listened to other influences. You know, uh, I shared this at prayer this morning. But uh, so much of the world has come into the church. And you know, my, my oldest um, grandson, Isaac, as you know, is at... Uh, Rhema Bible Training Center, and uh, getting the Word of God there, praise the Lord. But um, the Hagans made this statement, not to him, but to this other pastor that I know, that the makeup of the students that come to Rhema is totally different than it used to be. Because he said, Basically, the first year at Rama, we have to teach the foundations. And there's a period of time where uh, that wasn't necessary because, because they had the foundations and so they could, they could just begin to, to build upon that. But there's so many coming in that have not heard, they've not received the foundations they have to give them that before they can build because, you know, <clears throat> uh, you can build a beautiful structure, but if you don't, if you don't lay a proper foundation, doesn't matter how nice it looks from the outside, doesn't matter how great its appearance is, it'll crumble, it'll fall. You know, Jesus used the example of the house built on sand, and then the house that's built on solid ground, and the house that's built on sand. Notice, <clears throat> it was the same materials. But the house that was built on the rock, it says, was one that heard the word and did the word. But notice something, the one house fell, but the other house stood. But both of them had to endure the storm. And I think sometimes as, as <laughs> we're the faith people, we think if we're in faith, we never have to deal with anything in life because our faith will get us past. No, we, we will have to. The storms will come. The storms come against the house built on the sand and the house built on the rock in the same way. The difference is one will stand and one will fall. And we need to be built upon 
the rock. And, and so they said, the, the problem is, is people come in, you know, and, and according to <clears throat> Isaac's terminology, um, myself and Pastor Bruce, uh, we're old school. And, and the reason we're old school is because, you know, when we have our Sunday services or Wednesday evening services, we still preach for 45 minutes where, you know, and we have worship for, you know, a half hour. You know, the, 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 the ones that aren't old school, what they do is they have, you know, 15 minutes of worship and they're done and they have a 20-minute message and they're, they're done and everybody's out of there within an hour. Well, I'm old and I'm old school. And uh, I hate to disappoint you, but I ain't about to change because I've realized something. I only, I only have one thing to give you, and that's the Word of God. There's only one thing that'll change you. There's only one thing that'll sustain you. There's only one thing that'll give you hope. There is only one thing that'll give you a future. And that's the Word of God. And so, why is the Word so important? Well, going along with our teaching, it, 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 it demonstrates to us, it shows us the authority that we carry in the name of Jesus. And so, Jesus rebuked Peter. Actually, is rebuking the spirit behind Peter because of the influence that was coming against him. Now, this is the point. That was a spiritual battle. You and I, daily, moment by moment, we're encountering a spiritual battle. And ultimately, that spiritual battle is for your mind. Because if the enemy can get our mind, if he can get us thinking wrongly, he'll have us doing Wrongly, I don't know if that's good English, but I understand it. But if we're doing, if we're thinking rightly, we're going to be doing the right thing. So he's after our mind. He wants to control our thinking. It's it's in your notes, but in Proverbs 23, and it's a passage we're all familiar with because we we use it so often. We may not know where it is, but we know the passage. Proverbs 23, 7. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. You know, <clears throat> I, I believe a uh, twin passage to that in the New Testament is that he desires for us to prosper and be in health even as our soul prospers. Because uh, we're not going to prosper beyond our soul, our mind, will, our emotions, or our thinking process. As a man thinks in his heart, if, if we <clears throat> think of ourselves as being defeated, we're going to be defeated. If we see, think about ourselves as being an overcomer, we're going to overcome. Our, our thinking process is going to have a great deal to determine 
what we're going to do in our, our life. We, we see it in the natural. You know, if you take an individual that's been beaten down and he's been convinced that he's never going to amount to anything and that's how he sees himself, he's not going to amount to much. But if you can convince that individual that he has talent, that he has ability, that, you know, those attributes are in him, he'll begin to succeed. But you know, it's the same thing it is only at a greater measure when we begin looking at it from, from a spiritual standpoint. If we don't see ourselves as being victorious in Christ Jesus, um, our, whole, our whole life is going to be a struggle. You know, <clears throat> it sounds almost like a contradiction, you know, because we're in a spiritual battle and it's a continuous battle. But we're supposed to be victorious in, in the midst of it all. And I, I think one of the keys is, is the quicker we recognize the source of the influence, um, the negative, the less opportunity it has to really affect our life. But when we sit there and we entertain it and we, we, we give it place in our life, it's going to begin to dominate us. It's going to begin to have real influence in our lives. Let's look at Romans, the sixth chapter and the 16th verse. Remember, we're talking about the authority of the believer. Well, let's just start in the 15th verse. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. You know, basically what, what Paul's telling us in this passage is that we are submitting ourselves to something. Every one of us. We're, we're submitting ourselves to something. And so, you know, when, when I begin to talk about what we just read here, do you not know that whomever you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slave whom you obey? That, that's, not a, that's not a contradiction of grace. What it is is it demonstrates to us how we see grace manifest in our life. Remember, for by grace we've been saved through faith and not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so the direction that God gives us is his grace in our life. And so by faith, we choose to follow after that and we choose to obey it. We choose to follow after him. God is the author of righteousness. And so we are the righteousness of God in Christ. But we don't want to just have the title of righteous. We want to demonstrate fruits of righteousness. And the way that we do that is as we yield to him, as we yield to the word. Because it isn't really us having to do it all. It's us being willing to yield to him. 
and allow the Holy Spirit to work in us. Guess what? The Holy Spirit will never assist you to do what's contrary to the Word of God. That, that's an absolute contradiction for him. He won't do that. And so when we begin to go in that direction, we really are on our own. We are struggling ourselves. But when we begin to cooperate, remember what Jimmy always taught? You know, cooperating with the Holy Spirit. When we cooperate with the Holy Spirit, when we cooperate with the Word of God, we release the Holy Spirit to go to work in our lives, and He's the one that brings about the difference. James 1.20 For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. You know, sometimes we feel so justified in our feelings. Amen. Thank you for that one grunt. You know, but, but we, we feel so justified in our feelings. But listen to this again. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now how, no matter how much we think we have the right or ability to correct somebody, you know, whatever method it requires, guess what? He says the, right, the, the wrath of man the, um, does not produce the righteousness of God. What produces the righteousness of God? Well, the Bible says it's the love of God that leads men to repentance. Repentance, yes. Changing our mind, changing our will. Repentance, the, uh, the ultimate def definition of repentance is turning from going one way to another way. <clears throat> I, I, I'm sure, I think most everybody in this room is a parent and uh, all of us tried the method of wrath. <laughs> to change the direction of our children. And if your success was the same as mine in that regard, it was zero. Because it doesn't bring, uh, lead to righteousness. It doesn't lead to repentance. You know, God doesn't use his, you know, we see wrath in the old covenant because God didn't have any other way to work with them. And I think sometimes, even with our, our young people, you know, the answer isn't just simply bringing correction. The answer is taking authority over that spirit. Because whether we like it or not, that, that, that spirit, that, that negative influence it, it, it tries to affect our kids. I mean, they're dealing with it every single day. And that's why our, our prayers are so important, that we come against that spirit, that we come against that thing. Because, you know, 
For some reason, it just didn't seem like spanking ever worked. I remember way back in the Civic Center, and I actually had people got that got ticked off at me for this. But it was on a Sunday morning, and I don't remember all the details. But, you know, there was some uh, interaction taking place between me and the front row, and we were, we were kind of joking around and stuff, and Jeff was sitting in the front row. And, and uh, at one point, he said something, and I kind of chuckled about it, but then I looked at it and I saw what was behind it. And so right there in the middle of the service, which I wouldn't recommend you do with your kids because it is embarrassing, you know, but, you know, back then, and I want to get back there, I just didn't know any better than to do what I saw to do at the time. And so I just walked over to him and I put my hands on his head and I took authority over that, that rebellious spirit in the name of Jesus. Now I wasn't calling him rebellious because he wasn't. But it's talking to that spirit that was behind it. And like I said, you know, there was one individual in particular that was visiting that Sunday and never came back again. And he was looking for a good reason and I gave him one. You know, and it was because how could you ever do that? But my son's attitude after the service was, he came up to me and he gave me a big hug and he says, Dad, I'm so sorry for that. And I says, Jeff, that had absolutely nothing to do with you. That had to do with what was trying to influence you. And of course, at the time, I wouldn't have even known what it was. I just responded to it. And so uh, we need to realize that, you know, oftentimes we're trying to deal with the physical element of it. See, oftentimes when we get irritated, when we get ticked off at people, what we're doing is we're trying to deal with the physical part of it, and we're really not using the authority that's been invested in us. What we need to do is take our authority and speak to that spirit that's behind it and say, no, not my child, not my loved one, not my congregation, not my friend, not my acquaintance. No, not in my community, in Jesus' name. Let's look at James 3.16. And as you read through these notes later on, which I'm just, I just know you all do, uh, you're, you're going to see in the notes that it talks a lot about strife and so forth. And the reason that it does is the number one tool that the enemy wants to influence us with is strife. He wants to get us upset with one another in the household. What does he want to do? He wants to get a chism between the husband and wife. He wants to get it between the parents and the children. Why? Because Kids are brilliant, but they're not that smart. It's the, it's the spirit that's behind it. And what, what children want to do is they want to divide the parents because they know that if they're wanting something and if they can get you divided, 
They've got you right where they want you to be. But it's not them, it's the spirit that's behind it. And that's why husband and wife, parents, got to guard themselves against that and recognize what it is that's truly coming against them. Notice what it says in James 3.16. For where envy and strife, for where envy and self-seeking exists, confusion and every evil thing are there. Where envy and self-seeking you know, Creflo um, this week is, is, is teaching on um, um, pride. And uh, this morning, he used the example. He says, you know, the, the way I look at, at, at pride, it's like two ends of a stick. And he says, I used to never see it this way, but he says, on one end of the pride uh, of pride is uh, we, we see it as arrogance, knowing more than anybody else. And on the other end of pride is insecurity and inferiority. And he says, you look at that and you think, well, how could you ever diagnose that as pride? And he says, well, that's pride because both pride is self-seeking. Both of them are looking to self. And both of them will keep you from accomplishing what God's plan is for your life. You know, so if you're, if you're arrogant, you lose your ability to fulfill the plan of God because you're looking at self. You're not trusting in God. But if it's, it's, if it's insecurity, that insecurity will keep you from fulfilling the plan of God because you'll see yourself as being incapable. And so what you're saying is you're trusting in self and you're not putting your trust and your confidence in God. Well, uh, we need to put our trust, our confidence completely in Him. So he says where envy and self-seeking exists, confusion and every evil thing. And so it brings confusion because it's, you'll always be in conflict with God. You'll always be in conflict with the Word of God. In 2 Corinthians, um, the second chapter, in the 15th verse, it says, for we are, for we are, Let's back up just the 14th verse. Oh, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ, who through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God a fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who, and among those who are perishing. Of the ones who... <clears throat> Uh, of the one, we are an aroma of death leading to death, and the other aroma of life leading to life. And who is 
sufficient for these things. And so <clears throat> you either have a, a fragrant aroma about you or you stink. You know, and so uh, we, we come into the room and there's a bunch of unbelievers there and what happens? We stink. We, we don't even, they don't even have to know us, but they can sense it. And, and so as a result of that, um, they, want, they want absolutely nothing to do with us. And so we have that fragrance about us, that, that aroma, because of the spirit that lives within us. You know, I remember walking down, I, I've shared this with you, but I remember walking down the streets in, in the Philippines. We were coming to the marketplace and, you know, the Filipinos are all about that high and they all look about the same. We're just looking, walking along and all of a sudden, up ahead of us, I see somebody, this, this woman. And uh, I, I have this thought, there's, there's something different about her. And I don't know what it is. I've never, we're in the Philippines. I've never seen this woman before. And we get just about to her, and Jimmy says, uh, Pastor Dave, I want to introduce you to Sister So-and-so. She's a, she's a member of our church. There was this aroma about her. I, I immediately recognized it. Her, her face still had a Filipino face, still had a Filipino body, still had a Filipino dress. But there was something different about her. There was this, for lack of better terms, this aroma about her. And you see, whether we like it or not, that aroma ought to be clear to all those around us. We ought to be a sweet fragrance to other believers, but we're going to be a stench to the world. And what that world wants to do is it wants to influence us. And the reason that it wants to influence, influence, influence us is to steer us clear of the things of God so that we end up being, yeah, we're born again, but we've lost our appeal. We've lost our aroma. There's nothing different about us than there is about the world. In, in 1 Peter 5.7, you know, <clears throat> you know, one of the things that I'm loving about this uh, series that I'm doing is it's, it's taken me back to a lot of these scriptures that we don't seem to use every day anymore. And, you know, there was a period of time where these were, were passages that were, 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 that were always flowing out of us because, you know, maybe to an extreme, but we, we saw ourselves as being in a battle. But in 1 Peter 5, 8, it says, be sober. In other words, we need to be serious about this. You know, one of, one of the things that um, bothers me is when people take spiritual things for granted 
or they, they approach spiritual things very flippantly. Because what, what we're dealing with is, is serious. You know, I, I believe the words of Brother Hagin, there's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. And so I, I believe that, that we're presenting spiritual things to individuals that, that are helping them to determine their destination as to whether that ultimate destination is going to be heaven or whether it's going to be hell. And so that, that's, that's the life we live, whether we, whether we like it or not. Every day of our lives, we're, we're representing that truth that there's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. Every day that we live, we're showing those that are outside the body of Christ that, that there is a heaven to gain and the direction that you're heading isn't, <laughs> isn't good. So he says, be sober. Or, you know, we need to be serious about some of these. Be vigilant. In other words, we need to apply ourselves to these things. It's not something that we just case sarah, sarah. We take it serious. Be sober, be vigilant. And then he tells us why. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. But notice what he's doing. He's seeking whom he may devour. Well, guess what? He may not devour me. He may not devour you. But we've got to recognize that we have an adversary. We've got to recognize that there's something, there's someone out there that's wanting to bring death and destruction. Now when this CD gets on our, our website, some guy will pick it up and he'll listen to this one tape and that's the only tape he'll listen to and he'll say, man, that Abundant Life Church, all they talk about is devils. Well, there's a place for it. If we don't recognize that we're in a battle, we're never going to win one. And I don't know about you, I don't like, I don't enjoy losing battles. You know, I, I know that Peyton had some problems. I'm talking about General Patton. Patton. He had some issues. You know, got on the bad side with Eisenhower and some of the others. But let me tell you something. I love reading his books because there's something about that old general. He didn't like to lose. He wasn't always very nice. But he's really not nice to the enemy at all because he had a image of what he was going to accomplish. And what he was going to accomplish was going to be victory and he wasn't going to settle for anything less than victory. Guess what? We need to have a little bit of that General Patton spirit about us. Maybe not his language, but a little bit of his spirit about us that we have this determination that we're not fearful of our enemy and we will not give in to our enemy. 
And whatever he throws at us, we will overcome. Why? Because the greater one lives within us. Psalms 141.3, it says, Set your guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Well, why did we change this direction all at once? Well, the number one thing we cannot do is we cannot cooperate with the devil. We cannot cooperate with Satan. And you know where that begins? Begins right here. It begins with the words that come out of our mouth. What do we agree with? Do we get ourselves in agreement with God and his word? Or do we get in agreement with the world, the devil, and what the flesh feels like right, right now? Because we can't go with feelings because feelings will always take us down a path that we will not enjoy the end thereof. In 2 Corinthians 10, the fifth verse. Well, let's just back up to the third verse. For though I walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapon, even though we're in the flesh, we've got to realize that's not where the battle is. It's a spiritual battle that we're engaged in, that we're a part in, or at least we ought to be engaged in. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not fleshly. They're not flesh ruled. They're not flesh determined. Are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. And so he says, we've got to pull down strongholds. And then he begins to tell us what those strongholds are. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And so what are the strongholds? Arguments, high thinking, arguments, thinking we know more than God. He says we are to Cast those arguments down. Bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. I'll tell you, that's a, that's a tough thing to do. But you know what? In my experience, there's only one way to take thought captive. By determining what your thought is going to be. In other words, You've got to replace that thought with something. It isn't, I take authority over that thought. I'm not going to think that thought. I'm not going to think that thought. And all the time you're thinking that stinking thought. You've got to replace that thought with something. Replace it with the Word of God. You know, when we were at COC, Dan and Claudia Dennison, they lived a quarter of a mile down the road from us. And we became very close there from St. Paul, Minnesota. And they had... Uh, um, three teenage daughters and a son that was just getting into the teenage years. And, and uh, then they had another younger daughter. But our kids were just getting to that age. And, and so 
we, we sought a lot of counsel from them because they were really, they were wise. And uh, <clears throat> one of the things that they told us, you know, because, <clears throat> you know, back in the 80s, um, we, we were talking about this the other day too, how, you know, legalistically, you know, you, we, you know, you didn't allow your kids to listen to secular music of any kind or any of that stuff. And, you know, and so we, we couldn't list, let our kids listen to the, any of that horrible um, secular music, you know. And of course, you know, I look back on that now, like Chicago and some of those groups now, and <laughs> I think, anyway, we won't go there. You know, but they, they told us, you can't take something away without replacing it with something. And so we didn't want our kids to listen to the secular music, so we bought them CDs and, you know, actually we bought them cassettes because we didn't have any CDs. You know, no eight tracks, but we, we did buy them cassettes. You know, but the principle applies in our life. You can't take a thought captive without replacing that thought with something. You can't just simply take stuff away without replacing it with something. You know, and, and that's what I think, you know, oftentimes has been the issue when we, you know, don't do this, don't do that, can't do this, gotta do this. You know, we're, we're taking something without replacing it with something. God wants to change the desire of our heart. And the way that we change the desire of our heart is we replace that desire with a greater desire, a desire for the things of God, a desire for Him. And the other stuff, it eventually just has to get out of the way. What are we talking about here? We're talking about developing the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians, the fifth chapter, in the 22nd verse, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh and its passions and desires. And if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit and let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. But how do we do that? We do that by yielding ourselves into Him, recognizing that we have an enemy, we have an adversary that wants to dominate and wants to control our lives. Let's, let's look at one more passage. In James well, we may look at a couple more, but because they're obviously still going downstairs. James 1:14. It says, "But each one is tempted." Now this is how we give birth to sin in our life. For each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own des desires and enticed. Notice what happens. 
we're enticed. The influences come. We're drawn away. We're drawn away from what? We're drawn away from the principles of God. We're drawn away from the truths that we know to be real in our life. And so the enemy comes in with all these influences to draw us away. And it says, but each one is tempted. <clears throat> it's not sin to be tempted. To be tempted means you're still sucking air. But notice what it says. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. And here, of course, death, he's not talking necessarily about spiritual death. It's just talking about that it, it will produce death in an area of our life. And so the enemy comes in and he entices us and he, he draws us away from the truth, draws us away from that which we know is right. And we become deceived. It's an interesting thing about deception. You're deceived. And so a person is deceived. And what does that deceive, what does that deception say? You're okay. You know, your circumstances justify this condition. And so you're drawn away and you're led into an area the Bible calls it sin. We miss the mark. What happens? It says it produces death. Death of a relationship. Death of a business. Death in one way or another. Why? Because we've been drawn away. John 10.10 10 says, The thief has come but for to steal, to kill, and destroy. Why does the enemy want to entice us away from the truths and the principles of God? Because he wants to steal, he wants to kill, and he wants to destroy. But so often, we lose sight of that. We don't recognize it. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. It's the enemy that brings about envy and strife. Let me just read these last two passages out of our notes. James 3.16, For where envy and self-seeking exists, confusion and every evil thing are there. 1 Corinthians 14.33, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. God is not an author, the author of confusion. Satan comes in like a roaring lion to bring confusion. We resist him. And when we resist him, he can't devour us. He can't bring death and destruction into our life. And we live a life of peace. Why? Because of the influence that we have from the Holy Spirit, from the Word of God, and hopefully other believers. So Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we are blessed because we follow you. Have your way in each of our lives. Thank you that you've given us spiritual authority to deal with every circumstance that we encounter in life. 
So we give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Be blessed.